the blast from our past network. I had a lot of hope to begin with, but after so long, I had none. My supplies were completely exhausted. The last time I went to sleep, I didn't even set a waking date. You have literally raised me from the dead. Lazarus. What about the others? I'm afraid you're it, sir. So far, surely. No, in our present situation, there's, there's very little chance of rescuing any others. Dr. Mann. Dr. Mann, tell us about your world. Talking Back. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim. This week, we're going to be covering the 2014 movie Interstellar. Dean, what's up? What's up, Tim? I'm I'm just ready to rage against the dying of the light and get to this podcast. What does that even mean? I think it means that you aren't supposed to just accept death. But it's what Michael Caine says. It's the poem Michael Caine says during this movie. Oh, okay. Okay. Nice poll. Yes, thank you. And he also says, rage, rage, rage. Okay. Also, don't trust him because he's a liar. <laughs> he's a huge liar, man. Spoilers. Michael Spoilers. Caine's lying. Don't take everything he says for, for granted. Spoilers. Michael Caine's... Uh, Honesty settings are at 90%. <laughs> nice. Nice. Am I ever excited for this episode? I've been excited Me too, man. all week. I am so amped up. I'm so stoked. I'm such a sucker for the slow burn sci-fi movie. Oh, me too. It's my jam. Uh, totally. It's totally. It's my jam too. It's our jam. What, what's yeah. your uh, background with this movie? My background with this movie is I went to it with my cooler older brother, Tim. Oh, did, is this one we went to together? <laughs> yeah, we went to this in the theater together. If nice, I recall, Tim, if I recall, you were not <laughs> as happy with it when we left theaters. But I think it grew on you. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, sure. Um, I do remember seeing it in the theater. Uh, I liked it. I, I just think it's a lot to take in on your first viewing. So this sure. is one that I really came to appreciate more on subsequent viewings. And even now, it's like the more I watch it, the more I like it because the more I just pick out. So, yeah, I think Same with me. the first time seeing it, I thought it was really good. I think the ending threw me and everybody for a loop. Um, I think when you rewatch it, things start to make sense a bit more. And mm -hmm. I don't have anything bad to say about this movie so this will be a fun episode because i know we're both on the same page here we both love this movie we love sci-fi uh just ready to dig into it and have some fun on this one yeah man uh christopher nolan my number one guy so i just love this movie this is actually my favorite christopher nolan movie uh, we talk a lot about my top 10 list this hasn't come up because it's number 11 tim oh interesting yeah. Well, Dean, this movie was released in 2014 with a budget 
of $165 million, and it goes on to gross $702 million. Jeez. That's really good. That is like far more than I thought it would gross. Oh, yeah. Um, When I first looked at it, I got the numbers wrong, and I was like, oh, it only made $70.2 million. I was like, okay. that's unfortunate, but that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, because it's like this pure sci-fi. 702, that's what doesn't make sense for me. That's insane. Yeah. Like, settle it down, Interstellar. Stop making so much money. Yeah, no kidding. Especially it because it didn't like, it didn't open huge. So it wasn't like a huge opener that just like piddled off. It was like people kept going to this, even though I feel like it didn't have the greatest response. But I guess people had to see it. They had to go see it. Yeah. Well, as you mentioned, it was directed by your guy, Christopher Nolan. Guy. It was guy. also written by him as well. Yeah. Music by Hans Zimmer, who oddly oh, enough, we haven't, we haven't come across him on any of our episodes yet, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah. Now, some of his notable work is Blade Runner 2049, Batman v Superman, Inception, Nolan's Batman trilogy, he did The Rock. He did The Lion King. Yeah. And man. he's doing the upcoming movie Dune. Perfect. It's going to be cool. Zimmer's my guy. He's he's like my, he's my music guy. And I think this is my favorite score of his. So we're just, we're putting my director guy and my music guy together. Well, yeah, it seems like uh, Nolan and Zimmer do a lot of stuff together. So if it would make sense that he's your music guy because he's, totally. he's your director guy's guy exactly he's my guy's guy so he's got to yeah. be my guy too now cinematography is done by hoyt van hoytema now that is absolutely butchered because he's dutch so there's like all sorts mm. of like inflections going on there that i don't understand um but he has done some nolan stuff as well he's done dunkirk he did tenet he also did her he did ad astra and he did specter yeah, so he's got so, some good stuff under his belt. Yeah, all those movies look great. This, yeah, this guy is filming a, an amazing looking movie here, and it is. I think it's really cool that this movie looks so great because it's not Nolan's regular guy. Like it turns out to be his regular guy, but he's usually with like Wally Pfister. So I like this is usually a change. This is a change for Nolan in his uh, cinematographer. And I like it. I think it looks great. Oh, my goodness. This movie looks insanely beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's, unre- it's unreal. Uh, th- I'll just say it already. As spoilers. This is the best sci-fi looking movie that I've ever seen. Cool. I, I have to agree. Challenge me. Challenge me on it. No. Wrong. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I will not. I will not okay. challenge you on that. I thought you might throw a movie out there. No, I like Blade Runner 2049, but I don't think it looks better than this. No. Amazing looking movie, but for... Like, I'm talking about space, right? I'm talking about space. Yeah, I know. I'm not talking about, like, like fighter, like, spaceship fighter battles and stuff like that. Uh, Yeah, we'd be talking about space here. Yeah, pure space. Now, amazing cast as well. I mean, get out of here, cast. Get out of here. Get out of here. Get out of here, cast. What are you doing being so What are you doing in this movie? Yeah, get out of here. Every part in this movie is somebody. Every part of this movie is a famous person. And they're all doing wonderful. Wonderful. Um, led by the mighty Matthew McConaughey. We love in his this best work. Dude. 
Yeah. So, awesome. Some of his best work. He's amazing. Yeah. You've got Anne Hathaway. You've got Jessica Chastain, Michael Caine, John Lithgow, and then uh, a group of others, a group of other supporting actors and actresses who just just home run their, their roles. It's amazing. For sure. Now, this movie, Dean, was conceived by producer Linda Obst and theoretical physicist Kip Thorne, who actually both collaborated on the movie Contact. They conceived of a scenario based on Thorne's works about the most exotic events in the universe suddenly becoming accessible to humans. The movie initially had Steven Spielberg helmed to direct, but after that fell through, Jonathan Nolan, who was already writing the screenplay, which would end up taking him four years to complete, recommends his brother Chris to direct. Chris would go on to work years on his own script before merging his script with his brother's script to come up with the final script for the movie. Wow. Whoa. Whenever I hear a script and years, you know that's going to be tight. Yeah, a long time in the making there. Yes. Tim, if I wrote a script, Mm -hmm. I would also recommend you as the director. I would recommend my brother. Thank you. I appreciate that. I was going to say, if we were to write a script, it would also take years, but for the wrong reasons. Yes, it would take years because we'd first have to figure (laughs) out what the hell we're doing. It would take years and it would suck. Oh, yeah, it'd be awful. Okay. Dean, now this movie is fairly epic. It's close to three hours. Uh, We are not going to be able to walk through it scene by scene. So I thought we might try something a little bit different just so that we can kind of touch on all the important stuff. I kind of broke this movie down into four parts, and I thought we'd kind of walk through those parts. Uh, We'll still hit on all the important stuff in the movie, I think it'll just give us the ability to have a bit better of a conversation around certain parts rather than try to like dig through all um, of the scenes because we can't do that. Yeah, that works for me, man. That that leaves us a lot of time to talk about uh, stuff we really want to get to. Exactly. Now, part one, I have titled Life on Earth. Kind of sounds like the start of a script, Tim. You're already mm, writing over there. Interesting. Wow. I think you're onto something here. Maybe that could just be our title of the movie. Interesting. Okay. Okay. We're already, see, we're already working here. We're already working. Should we just write a script this episode? Just I think so. Forget yeah, that's about what this, this movie episode and will be. <laughs> write a script. Our interstellar episode is us just writing a script called Life on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like it. It should take place in space, though. Oh, for sure. <laughs> we would throw, like, would really throw a curveball to people, like, get them Definitely. confused about stuff. Yeah, and that's what people love, <laughs> getting mm-hmm. curveballs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, I find this movie sets out to do a lot of, like, standard things you'd want out of an opening of a movie. Uh, we meet some of the main characters. They build relationships between those characters while also building the world. But what I find really interesting and i think really really works for this movie is how long they spend doing this Mm. they feature a lot of character building scenes really early on and it really pays off later in the movie where you're you know you probably need a reason to really care about 
these characters and connect with them. And you do because they really set it up early. So what do you like? What are your feelings about the relationships of these characters right off the bat, how they're building those relationships and uh, yeah, anything you want to want to say about that? Yeah, my my two like main pulls out of the beginning of the movie for um, Matthew McConaughey's character, Coop, um, is that number one, this guy like absolutely loves his kids so much. He's got such a great relationship with his kids. Um, even just the way he's like, Matthew McConaughey is such a good actor. He's such a good physical actor. And I can just tell by the way he's interacting with them, like physically, how he's hugging them, how he's like patting them on the back, like all that stuff. I just really get it from him. And I'm going to need that later in the movie. So that just absolutely sets up how much this guy loves his kids. And two, how much this guy is not really happy with what his place is on this earth. Um, He didn't, he's like a, a pilot and he is reduced because of what the world is to being a farmer, which he doesn't really want to do. But that's what the world needs is food. But he wants to, you know, be in a plane. He wants to be in the stars. He wants to, like, he's, he wants to go to space because that's what he's trained to be. He's, I think he's an engineer, he says at one point. Um, so I, I just really get that this guy is not quite fulfilling what he feels like his maybe purpose in life is. Hundred percent. He's an adventurer. Um, yes, you got it right. He's a he's a pilot. He was first a pilot. He's a farmer, and he lets us know he's also an engineer. So yeah. farming is kind of like not utilizing his talents, to, you know, for what they could be utilized for. But that's just the scenario he's in. He he's it's in his blood to be like an adventurer, right? To to go out and yeah. explore. They do a really good job sharing that and making you feel like yeah he seems like that type of a guy yeah definitely and not just that he um not just that he personally wants to explore but he kind of for me in this movie represents like the human race and he's like he's still the person who's looking to the stars like we all are right now like i think we i think we look up in the sky and see all those stars and we're like wow the universe is huge but then in the world he lives in everybody's just focusing on how they can survive and what they can do and nobody's looking to the stars anymore so i think he represents what we used to be like what the 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 hope we used to have yeah and his relationship with his daughter Murph is stronger than his relationship with his son Tom mm-hmm. in the movie. And I think it's because Murph kind of resembles and has all of the characteristics that he likes about himself. She's kind of showing in her, whereas Tom is the one kind of following the agriculture, which is what Cooper does, but he's the least passionate about. Meanwhile, Murph is all about space and science and um, all that type of stuff. So they yeah. build that relationship as a stronger relationship in the movie. So that's cool. And then they throw in Grandpa Donald, mm-hmm. who is um, Cooper's wife's uh, father. So father. it's his father-in-law. Yeah. And, and his, his Cooper's wife has passed away. And you've got, that's John Lithgow, um, Grandpa Donald. And he's kind of like this cynical guy. Obviously, you know, he's living with them. Um, he's lost his daughter. He, he doesn't seem like the happiest guy, but mm-hmm. he's kind of like this um, this voice of reason through everything. He's kind of, it seems like he's keeping Cooper grounded in yeah. this house 
and keeping him, um, you know, keeping the important things that Cooper should be thinking about in front of Cooper. So yeah, uh, that's kind of these these four relationships that they build right off the bat in the movie, and they do an excellent job. Yeah, yeah, great job with those relationships that are going to we're going to need that grounding when we go later on to the movie when we don't really have time to look back on them. Like, I feel like the rest of this movie doesn't have a ton of time to remind you of these things. You just have right. to know them from the beginning, and I get them right at the beginning. Yeah, and ultimately this movie is is kind of based on the relationship of Cooper and Murph, so it's all very important that we're getting that. For sure. Now, yeah. this world that we're in is sort of like a future Earth uh, where agriculture has become king because the world is running out of food, and... Mm. We're being told through interviews on TV about these dust storms that have slowly been destroying the Earth. Now, while this is a futuristic Earth movie, these dust storms are a real thing that happened during the 1930s in Canada and the U.S. Mm -hmm. And the interviews that they show us that I just thought added such an interesting element to the movie. It gave it, yeah. it gave it this unique feel. It gave it like a dose of realism for me. And these are in fact real interviews from a documentary about that dust storm, the yeah. dust storms that happened called the dust bowl. So those are people speaking the truth about massive dust storms and dude, I looked up some pictures from the 1930s on these dust storms and mm -hmm. this movie, this is am amazing to consider, but this movie is not exaggerating when they show you the effects of the dust storms. There wow. are pictures of houses being dwarfed by gigantic walls of dust coming towards them. It is wow. amazing. It's terrifying and it's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, totally scary stuff. I think it's, really neat that we are actually using footage of real people from our past we are watching a movie that is set a little bit in the future and that footage of our past is used to represent that movie's future like it's yeah it's so it it's completely differently used than what it actually how it actually exists in our world um but it adds so much to that story it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's done so well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed this world that they've built for us, right? Yeah. Like they've, they've placed this dire situation in front of us where the earth is having trouble feeding itself. Yeah. And you can tell it's in the future because that hasn't happened to our earth yet, but it also seems like it's there's nothing really futuristic about it. You know, they're driving around yeah. vehicles that we have. Everything seems really normal. So it's interesting. It's like it's completely believable that this is a world or our Earth that could potentially be existing 50 years from now, 75 years from now. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And the the Earth in this movie is dying. The like humanity is outlasting, outliving the Earth. And that's a problem because that's how we get food. Um, so everybody like very, very soon, the earth is going to run out of food. And that is like, what do people do then? Um, 
I yeah. really like how they do how they use little things to set up this world, like um, changing of textbooks and things like that. Like in the school that Murph is in, they're changing the textbooks so that people don't want to think about going to space anymore because that doesn't matter. All that ma we don't have time to waste money or waste energy on that. We have to farm. We have to get as much out of this earth as we can while we can. Now, something weird happens here where a military drone and some combines close in on Cooper's farm all by themselves. Mm, yeah. And there's also something weird happening in Murph's room. Now, Cooper determines that everything happening is because of a gravitational anomaly. And he figures out also that there's a message in that anomaly. And that message is a set of coordinates to a location. So Cooper heads out alone to investigate that location, but Murph stows away under a blanket in his truck so that she can go as well. Great. So uh, it was great. Cute scene. Now, what they end up finding is a secret and hidden location of NASA. And NASA thinks it's very interesting that Cooper found this place because they could use a good pilot... They could use a good pilot, man. <laughs> and they're very, they're, they're basically hidden, right? Like they're supposed Completely to be hidden. very secret locations. So how did a pilot show up at their place? Yeah, exactly. Now, NASA lets Coop know that blight, which is like a, a disease of like whatever plants or mm -hmm. organic materials, um, it will have killed off all the crops in the world within a couple generations and because of that, NASA wants to leave Earth. They want Cooper to pilot a mission, and they tell him they've found a wormhole near Saturn that someone put there. They call that someone, they, they use this throughout the movie, they call them they. They say mm -hmm. they put it there. So someone, it's, I think it's important that someone put it there. It's not just, it's, it's not an anomaly. Someone placed it there for them. Yeah. Wormholes can't naturally occur. So they know that somebody has placed a wormhole there. Right. So they put it there for the humans to be able to get to other hospitable planets. Yeah. Now, this is super cool at this point mm -hmm. in the movie when we find out that NASA has already sent people out looking for those other hospitable planets. Yeah. That's, that's what I really want in a movie. I want them to kind of set something up, make me think like I know what the plan is, yeah. and then tell me that we're already like 30 years behind or 20 years behind what they've already been doing. Because I'm thinking here, I'm thinking Cooper, they want Cooper to be the one to go out and look for hospitable planets. For sure. Surprise, we've already found hospitable planets and we've already sent like 12 people out to go and investigate them. And now yeah. we need someone to go out and... Like, look into the ones that are, um, you know, the ones that the, the astronauts that have already gone are saying are hospitable planets. Like, you can yeah. now come here and start to reproduce and you know, make a new Earth. So, love it, that. It's fantastic. It's fantastic just how they reveal this entire part. Because it's all, we are definitely in Coop's shoes 
at this moment in the movie because we have no idea what's going on and they are sort of very, very slowly um, telling us this type of information. So you're right. When we hear that they've already sent 12 people through the wormhole and they've already found 12 different planets and they are uh, transmitting back to Earth, whether it's a good planet or not, um, that you just get so excited. It's You're right. It's not his job to just go through and see what's there it's his job to now check which ones are sending up the, us the thumbs up and can we live there yeah so the plan is cooper along with some crew from nasa will go to a system that has three planets showing potential mm-hmm. and they let us know here that there's a plan a and there's a plan b and basically plan a is that they want to move all of the people from Earth to the hospitable planet. Right. If that's not possible, plan B, they take like the Petri dishes and they grow people yeah. on, on the yeah. new planet. Michael Caine's character basically promises Cooper, if you go, I will have the calculations figured out to make plan A work. And the issue with plan A is how do you launch uh, like a, a station that's large enough to carry like a bunch of humans on it. How do you launch that into space? So he's working on an equation, an equation to kind of defeat gravity uh, so that they can do that. Yeah. And these anomalies that have been happening that they've mentioned before, where they think they are intervening, um, they all have to do with gravity. So now that they know that gravity is sort of a thing that can be manipulated, that's why it gives them hope. It gives Michael Caine hope. Like, I think if I can solve this gravity thing that they're able to send, you know, back and forth to us, if I can solve that, then we can figure out how to launch this thing out of our, off our earth and through space to wherever we need to go. And, and Michael Caine is very sure of himself here. He, he basically says, Cooper, if oh, yeah. you go... I believe by the time you come back, they think it's going to be a couple years. It's whatever. It's like, it's probably going to be about five years. They think by the time you come back, he's like, I guarantee I will have solved the equation. Yeah. I believe him too, for sure. He's, he's just like that. He's got that uh, amazing accent. Yeah, man. I mean, dude, he was, he was Alfred. I'm never going to not believe Alfred. I know. I'm not, I'm not, not believing Alfred. No, Alfred only says truth. So, because of all this, Cooper agrees to go, and this is obviously very hard for Murph, but it's a matter of saving the world. We mentioned it already, like it's in Cooper's adventurous character to take on a mission like this. Like as much as he probably hates to go, for sure. he's probably been, probably just been like yearning for something like, th- something like this to happen. Um, Murph, in like a last ditch effort to stop him, tells him she figured out what this ghost in her room was trying to say. So we haven't really touched on it, but she thinks there's a ghost in her room. Yeah. Books have been falling off um, in a in a seemingly in a pattern that she's kind of figuring out. Right. There was that weird anomaly in the room. So she thinks something else is up. She thinks it's a ghost. She's figured out the ghost has given them a message and the message is stay. Yeah, but it's it's too late. Cooper's already decided to go, and it's such an emotional scene, man. Such a powerful yeah. scene between a daughter and a father, where she's begging him not to leave. She's crying. She's begging. She's sad. She's mad. Um, 
as as Cooper's leaving, like more books are falling off of the shelf as it's happening. Yeah. Um, but Cooper, he goes, um, he he leaves in his truck, and he hasn't had any closure with her either. Like she won't even say she loves him or goodbye. She's just so mad at him. So he has to go. He has to leave without getting any closure from from her. And as yeah. he's driving away, he looks under the blanket in his truck knowing she's not going to be there, but just that sweet moment where she had stowed away yeah. before and he looked under that blanket and was like mad for half a second, but then happy that she was there. Um, that yeah. dude, that moment broke me. It was just, it's sure, such man. a powerful emotional moment at that, at that part of the movie. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. And, and McConaughey, just this whole part, this whole section um, just builds you right up to that moment because he shows you in this scene, you know, it shows you him, him and his daughter Murph shows you how close they are with this scene because she's so mad because like she loves him so much. They're so tight that she's so mad that he would leave her for that amount of time that she won't even doesn't even want to say goodbye. Like she's only mad with him. She doesn't even want to say like, okay, like I will hug you goodbye. And the pain that he's feeling that they have to leave on those terms. Like he just wants to have a good goodbye. He knows it's hard to leave. It's hard for him too. That's why he needs that good goodbye. And she does not give it to him. And he has to leave with his daughter mad at him. So that's that part where he lifts up that blanket. Just hopefully that she's there. Because that would mean that, you know, she's not mad. She wants to, you know, she still wants to be around him. Um, oh man, it broke me too. It's so good. And like, uh, just touching on the score, the score is going wild at this point. This scene works yeah. because of how much they've built up their relationships already. So for sure, great. For sure, yeah. it's, it's great, great storytelling here. Um, yeah. And then just straight from the car to the launch. Like no, nothing no, no, else no, no, in no. between. He's... There is something in between. No? Yeah. What's in between? Um, Murph comes running out of the house looking for the goodbye. Oh, well, yeah. Like realizing a yeah. bit too late that she does want to Ugh. say goodbye. So like to crush I us know, even so further, painful. she comes out like calling yeah. for him and crying but it's too late. He, he's gone down the dirt Ugh. road. It's it's brutal, dude. And then you're right. From yeah. there, we immediately transition into the mission taking off into space. Because you know what? <laughs> I don't want to sit around and dwell on what just happened. It's it's almost too painful. No. I need I need yeah. to be launched into space at that moment just to like kind of like clear that you know that whole situation. It was just very very yeah intense, man. And I love I love movies that do this that like emotionally connect you like this i love feeling like sad like this in a movie uh i have no problem with it i think they did just such a good job with it in this movie so yeah i i love it man i love it when it's just real emotions i i love feeling them so that is the end of part one and we will move into part two 
which I am calling cool. Life in Space. Oh, nice, Tim. Surprise, surprise. Now, Cooper and the NASA team have launched from Earth in the Ranger, which is their maneuverable shuttle, and they dock on the Endurance, which is their deep space-capable ship. And the mm -hmm. NASA crew, dude, they are all so awesome. We've got a doc oh, yeah. a Dr. Brand, who is Michael Caine's character's daughter. So like a younger Dr. Mm -hmm. Brand. There's Doyle. I love Doyle. There's a guy, mm -hmm. Romilly. It's fantastic. Yeah. And Tars. He's the ship's robot. Oh. Tars, dude. Dude. Tars is amazing. Dude. dude. Amazing. Bro. Tars. Bro. Tars. Tars. He's a rectangle. Bro. He's he's a rectangle, but he's like he's he's like a brick. He's like a block. He's a a a rectangular block, but very capable. Yeah. He's a very, very capable, capable rectangular block. I he's a block with a screen on it <laughs> that also sounds like a person. Dude, he's a talking rectangle block. Yes, he's a talking rectangle. <laughs> he's awesome. I love him. I love his design. Yeah. I love his design. Yeah. Um, if people considered his design like a cop-out or like not all that great or not not all that cool okay yeah. i'll tell you this his design is not cool what he's able to do though is incredible and i think it takes a, a simple design like that to be able to do really incredible things with a character like with this character so of course yeah. this really reminded me of this video game i played it was called okami and wonderful game, beautiful game. The final boss of the game was a sphere. And I got cool. there and I was like, okay, there's a giant sphere in front of me, floating sphere. And I'm thinking, what? this is not interesting at all. And then that sphere went on to do the most incredible things because it can just unfold itself into different yeah you know, shapes and it can do all sorts of different things. The sphere is the rudimentary shape of it, but with like these perfect mathematical shapes, you can break them down into really intelligent things. Yeah, I absolutely love it. You said earlier, like if people think it's a cop out, I think it's a huge risk. He goes with this block as his robot character. And so immediately you look at this character and you're like, okay, that's pretty simple. But then every single visual you get throughout the movie of what this block can actually do and how this block is moving, it walks in like four or five or six maybe different ways in this movie. Yeah. And every time it's doing something different, I'm like, whoa, that's cool. That looks awesome. Instead of just like a human looking android or robot or something like I just to look like another human. Like, I love that this block sticks out. Like, I know exactly what this thing is doing. I know like when it is when it is this robot that is doing something amazing. I think the design is fantastic, just like you, Tim. It, it is fantastic. I love it. He's also got a sense of humor. Yeah, his sense of humor had to get toned down a little bit. He was a little bit a too little funny. Bit, yeah. He was a little bit too funny. A little too goofy. Yeah. It, Tim, I bet you wish you could tone down, uh, tone down my sense of humor settings. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I do. <laughs> only, only in the first like one minute of each episode. That's, <laughs> right, that's right. the only time. <laughs> you could turn me back up yeah, after. I'll turn that. you up after. <laughs> now, at this point in the movie, uh, Cooper and the NASA team they all go into cryo, 
which looks absolutely terrifying in this movie. <laughs> yeah. I usually think of course. cryo looks like a fun experience. This one, it yeah. looks like you're being like killed. They put you, yeah, you lie down on this bed that looks like it's made out of like concrete, a concrete slab. Yeah. And it's full of water. You get into a Ziploc bag, a body size Ziploc bag. You put you in a body bag. A body bag. You lie down in the water, then you zip yourself closed. And then the top of the concrete, like, I don't know, casket comes on top of you. And then that's it. That's cryo. That looks like drowning to me. That looks yeah. like drowning and, then and imprisonment. Lower, then you lower down into the ground. Yeah. <laughs> like it is all death. Ooh. Everything about it is death. <laughs> that's, that is that. If that's cryo, count me it's out. It's terrifying. Count me out. Yeah, it looks, it looks terrifying. Yeah. Now, after a two-year nap, they all wake up near Saturn. And they find the wormhole and start moving in. And this is where the sci-fi effects just start to take off for me, dude. It looks oh, so yeah. incredible. Um, they're visually like representing wormholes in a way I've never really experienced before. Everything just looks so cool. You can tell they had a different idea about how to do stuff. And my goodness, is, yeah. it, is it amazing? Yeah. We're now at the three planets on the other side of the wormhole. And yeah. Tim, sorry, I just want to lay out the plan because I don't think we really did at the sure, beginning. Just sure. the, the plan with all these astronauts is you go to a planet. If your planet is good and can be lived on, you know, you send the thumbs up. Then the plan is that they'll come check out your planet. If it's no good, then you hop on the ship with them and you go check out the next planet and you go, you know, to the to the next one with them. So if you get to your planet and it's no good and you have to give the thumbs down, you're done. There's not enough fuel to come get you. So you are now just a hero for the Earth, and you die on that planet. Right. If you thumbs down, it's like, yeah, don't come save me. It, yeah, basically, if you thumbs down, it's like, don't come check on my planet, so they will they will not waste their fuel going there, so you will not get saved. It's, yeah, don't come save me. Yeah, fuel's a big part of this movie. I actually like that yeah. as well. I can't actually think of another sci-fi movie where fuel plays a big part in it. But in this movie, right, yeah. fuel sure as hell plays a huge part in it and actually yeah. creates some really interesting story um, arcs and changes in the movie because of it. For sure, for sure. So the closest planet is the one that they're going to check out first, obviously, right? Again, it's fuel related. Let's just check out the closest planet because maybe that's the yeah. one that's going to work. Maybe that's the most hospitable one. And then you're good. You you have it. You solved it. You're, you, you know, you know that that's the one you're going to live on. Exactly. Mission accomplished. Now, this planet, though, it has a different gravity. And every hour on that planet is the equivalent of seven years on Earth. So that's a it. fun and cool idea. <laughs> yeah, it's I love super it. super fun. This, this planet is so... Uh, it's so messed up because it's so close to a black hole. So we talked about going through a wormhole, which is how you get from one uh, place in space to another. But now once we are through and in this new galaxy, we're talking about a black hole, which is it's something that has such a strong gravitational pull in the universe that it can pull in light. So everything is dark. Like you can't even see it because it pulls in absolutely everything and nothing escapes from it. So the planet is so close to that black hole that the gravity is so strong that time works differently on the planet. Amazing. Did you crack your science books open in researching this Tim, episode? Did I, you go back to the Tim, science I books did, for that, Dean? 
I did take physics in university. I did take the theory of relativity and I had to brush up on it. And right. I will tell you, uh, it still doesn't make any damn sense. <laughs> no, I know it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> I love it. I love trying to read it. But yeah, none of that, none of that shit makes sense. No, it, it is really hard to make sense. But basically the concept is that gravity, have, like uh, gravity can slow down time. They say they basically say that it can even happen on Earth, but to the smallest, smallest, smallest of degrees that the highest point of Earth compared to the lowest point of Earth can. I think if you're at the highest point on Earth, you age like a millionth of a second slower than the person on the lowest point of Earth. Just that difference in gravity. Yeah, that's why in the the movie Contact, that guy was flying around in his airplane because he would... uh... He would live yeah. longer. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's totally true. That's amazing. <laughs> that's another interest. That's another interesting thing that um, I think is very cool about the movie, but that I thought was difficult to comprehend. Comprehend. It's the whole idea of gravity, kind of being the thing in this movie. Yeah. Like we watch movies like whatever Back to the Future. They're dealing with time travel. Um, lots of things deal with time travel. They don't really get into like the specifics of that. Yeah. But this is about gravity. And like for me, gravity is the pressure that's holding us down on a planet. Like I, I can't really yeah. comprehend how gravity can do yeah. the things that it can do. Can affect like, time. I yeah. don't know how gravity affects time, but they're saying it in this movie. And it's, you know, it's like just something I don't have any information on. Yeah. So that was one of the struggles I had in the movie the first time. Um, because I didn't know if that was real or not. I didn't know if they were just right. making yeah. something up like, Hey, look, gravity, blah, blah, blah. That can happen as well. So I, I think I took it with a grain of salt when it happened, but then, you know, realizing that that's a possibility that's like theoretically possible. I appreciated like it more, you know, it going on after that. And I think, I think in this movie, it is uh, very important that gravity is at the center. Um, because they're also going to present another idea that we haven't got to yet, um, but they're going to present another idea that's going to be a hard leap for audiences to take. Yeah. And I think presenting gravity as a thing that everybody sort of gets, but nobody really understands, and then actually presenting all the theoretical knowledge we know about that and showing you on screen what that would look like when really we don't get it. We don't really get that. We just know it exists. It allows them in this movie to then present the idea they want to present and get maybe some of us on board with it. That's a good point. That's why it didn't work for me the first time is because I didn't 100% agree. I didn't get from gravity point A to what you're talking about point B. And I know what you're talking about. It didn't work for me. So I just, I got to point B and I'm like, I don't like that. So, but now now I like it. Now it's good. So they come in for a landing on this planet and they realize it's all water as far as they can see. So it becomes really obvious that this planet is useless to them when they see it has 150-foot tidal waves that has already destroyed the other astronaut's ship and is about to destroy them. Yes. I don't know if you noticed, in this scene, there's a metronome playing in the background along with the music, and it just slowly picks up speed as the scene intensifies. And I just thought that was such a great technique to cause us yeah. anxiety in that moment. Because we know that every extra second they spend on this planet is costing them huge amounts of time in their real life. So you have this awesome. like tick, 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 this metronome going. Loved it. 
um, just creates that urgency, right? Oh, we man. know right away just hearing that where we feel the pressure already and it just makes every single thing, it reminds us every moment that everything they're doing matters. Okay, so what I really, really enjoy when we get to this part in the movie is that we're not going to see any aliens in this sci-fi movie. We're not going to see any, you know, plants and stuff. It is just a planet, and the planet is what is attacking them. And it's the planet is what is causing them harm. And I love this idea because I am of the mindset that it is wild that the planet we live on tries to kill us. Like, we have wind storms that are so big that they tear down houses we have that they bring huge tidal waves that like take over cities and we have like lightning in the sky that is attacking us and nobody seems to care nobody seems to mention this that the planet's always trying to kill us i think that is absolutely wild and we are just so we're this rock in the sky that we all live on and it tries to kill us. So we go to another planet, that planet tries to kill us. Like, I just love this idea that we go to another planet, we're not prepared, like we just don't know what the elements are, and it tries to kill them. And they really struggle with it because they don't know what's happening. Imagine on this planet, if we didn't know what to do when there's a tornado, we'd just all be dead. If we didn't know, like, get underground, we would just die immediately. <laughs> Yeah, I think that that planet is more effective at killing people than our planet is. I, I agree. I agree, Tim. But I just I just wanted to point out that I love the idea that the planet tries to kill you. Yeah, that's I mean, it, it makes sense, though, like because they're looking for of a course, hospitable yeah. planet. Right. So the majority yeah. of the planets they're going to get to are not capable of supporting life, whether it's fire, yeah. whether it's ice. This one was water. So. Um, and it's like, what can we live with, right? Like, we know how to live on this planet, even with the things that are happening. So we're going to get yeah. to another planet. And it's like, can we live with 150 foot tidal waves? I don't think so. Well, they were okay with that planet being water until the tidal waves came, right? So they were they were yeah. considering this could be the place because water, that's fine. That's great that we have water. They, they make a point of saying it's hard to find water. So I could yeah. see them setting up a world where they live just in modules above water. But it's yeah. the tidal waves that are destructive and, and get them out That's of there. That's true. So. Yeah, they went there because they had info about water, which was literally the first thing that this astronaut Miller was just like, oh, there's water. Sent that, crashed, and died. Yeah. <laughs> but it took them, yeah. because time works so differently, they arrived there seconds after she had died. Yeah, that was a neat touch they added in there, that she had yeah. just died because of the time change. Now, Cooper and Brand are both really upset by how much Earth time this whole thing cost them and this is where cooper starts speculating about going back in time to get back that time they lost when they're finally able to get off that planet and back to their ship they find that crew member romilly has been waiting on the endurance in and out of cryo for 23 years the good news here is cooper now has 23 years of personal messages to listen to oh boy and he has a bunch of messages from his son, Tom. And in a matter of moments, dude, he watches a huge chunk of Tom's life go by. 
it was really like interesting to see. And Cooper's just like, he's busted up by it all. It's obviously you'd be very like emotional watching kind of your son just like grow up and have a family. And then uh, eventually what he, what he gets to is his Tom's last message where Tom tells him that everybody else has kind of given up on Cooper being alive and he needs to as well. So he's going to stop sending messages. He has to let, uh, he has to let Coop go. And then at the end of that, there's one last message from Murph. Um, and she's grown up and she's still mad at him. <laughs> she's still yeah. mad at him. We also learn here that Murph is now working for Michael Caine on the mm-hmm. gravity equation, but they still haven't figured it out yet. So that's yeah, un- that's and unfortunate. it's been, it's been, it's been a, a while. Years. It's been 23 it's been, years. It's been, yeah. It's been a that few scene years is so already. good. That, that that the whole scene with Matthew McConaughey is so good. Like just emotionally so so strong. He plays yeah, it he's so excellent. amazingly in that moment. And then you have Jessica Chastain show like pop up on screen and there's just, you know, there's just something about her that is just she's just a movie star. She just draws you in and you just want to listen to her and see her on the screen. Yeah, for sure. She's beautiful. Yeah, great moment in the movie. Now, since the trip to the water planet took them so long and they weren't expecting that, they now don't have enough fuel to reach both of the other planets and they need to choose one. Right. And one has someone still transmitting the thumbs up mm-hmm. while the other doesn't have the thumbs up coming, but it appears to be a more hospitable match. Right. Cooper calls out Dr. Brand here because she wants to go to the Edmonds planet, which is the one that's not transmitting a thumbs up. Because she's in love with Edmonds. That's mm-hmm. why she wants to go there. She loves him. Yeah. So it makes Co- sense. Makes sense. But Cooper explains to Romilly, like, this is why she wants to go there. She's not keeping the most scientific things in mind here. Right. I yeah. disagree with her. And I guess eventually Romilly disagrees. And um, they decide to not go to her planet. But she had a great quote here, uh, Anne Hathaway, the Dr. Brand character. She says, Love is the one thing we're capable of perceiving that transcends dimensions of time and space. So she's just trying to defend herself in the moment. Like I think she, she takes herself very seriously as a scientist. And I don't think she even maybe realized that she was being influenced as much as she was by, you know, her love for Edmonds and wanting to get to that planet and having that cloud her judgment. And she just comes up with that great quote explaining kind of why she was swayed and just wanting to do that. So I love it. I love it too. Great I love it, Tim. I love the speech. The speech would win me over. This is one of my favorite moments in the movie is this speech. This speech wins me over for the movie because this is one of the things where I'm talking about. She says like, I am drawn to this man I haven't seen in 10 years. I am sure is dead. He's not giving us the thumbs up. I'm pretty sure he's dead. I'm drawn to him. What is that? It's like we talk about these scientific things and we can explain gravity. We can explain with math why two things are pulled towards each other. Why am I pulled towards this guy? Maybe it's some science we haven't figured out yet. And maybe it's the key because it transcends time and space. I honestly, 100%, I would have been like, we're going to Edmund's planet. (laughs) Yeah, I know you would have. (laughs) but that's what i'm like that's the wrong decision no was it tim was it the wrong decision turns out it would have been the right decision but ultimately because of that whole situation with brand being too close to Edmonds, they decide to go to the other planet which is closer 
and seems like the better fit. Now back on Earth, we see Michael Caine's character on his deathbed, where he tells Murph, Plan A was never an option. Only Plan B was. He says there's no way for them to figure out this equation, because the only way to figure out this equation would be to get inside of a black hole to collect the data from inside of that. Yeah, and, and he's he's not just saying, oh, on my deathbed, I realize now we could never solve no, this. He's he saying, knew. I've been lying since the beginning. I <laughs> yeah. knew immediately we couldn't solve this. I knew 25 years ago we couldn't solve exactly. this thing. Exactly. That bastard. Jeez, what a bastard. That's a bastard. Bastard. Now, Murph wonders if um, Michael Caine's daughter, young Dr. Brand, knew about this. She also wonders if Cooper knew about this. So yeah. she's lost. She 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 just hates the idea that they knew about that. And, you know, Cooper abandoned her even harder than she thinks he did. So she yeah. she just she wants to figure things out. So that moves us into part three, Dean. And I'm calling it Dr. Man's Planet. So we're on to the next planet. This one is completely frozen and desolate. And they land and they head towards the beacon. They find a somewhat established camp and a doctor man who's in cryo. They wake him up. It's Matt Damon, and he's very excited to see people. Very excited. Very excited. So Dr. Man says the planet is very promising and confirms for us that plan A was never an option. And that what they need to do here is just set up plan B. It's like, this can be the base camp where we just repopulate this planet, but with the eggs. Now, Yes, and Matt Damon as a choice for this Dr. Man is absolutely perfect because as soon as he comes out of there, like he's crying and stuff. But after that, after he sort of like gets it together, I'm just like, this dude is the number one sign. This guy's the hero of the movie. Like this guy was a hero of a movie that I just didn't watch yet. You know, like he was... He's the hero of the prequel. Like, I love this guy. I'm listening to this guy. He knows what's up. I 100% disagree. I Oh, really? Wow. Hated, I hated him in this role. I hated him in this oh. movie. I would have chosen anybody else. Um, the actual, the other Loved person him. that they actually wanted, I thought would have been a way yeah. better idea. I can't remember his name. Um, Indian actor. He was in Slumdog Millionaire. He was in, uh, I think he was in Life of Dev Pi. Dev Patel? He was in, no, he was in a few other no. ones. No, not Dev Patel. Um, Matt Damon is far too recognizable for me here. I'm taken out of this whole movie just with seeing him in that moment. I don't, I can't buy anything anymore. So it just, it, it, okay, ripped, it yeah. ripped me out of the scene at that moment. I need somebody unrecognizable here for me. Okay. I, I, I need to believe that he's the best of us. Yeah. And so that's why I, that's why I like that. Yeah. I didn't buy any of it, but yeah. um, that that's fine. My only beef with the movie, Matt Damon. And I love Matt Damon. I think he's great. I just, it just didn't work for me, but that's fine. Um, Cooper and Brand are both crushed by this news from Dr. Mann that plan A was never even an option because that means everybody on earth is going to die. You know, because of that information, Cooper has decided that he wants to head back to earth because they've found a suitable planet. Basically their mission's right. kind of completed here. Mm -hmm. They have the planet. Uh, they don't need Cooper anymore. He wants to go back home. He wants to connect with his family again before, you know, yeah. uh, the earth is doomed. So 
Um, unfortunately, though, Dr. Mann has other ideas. He has actually lied about this planet. It's mm-hmm. not hospitable at all. He only pressed the thumbs up button so somebody would come and rescue him. And Dr. Mann tries to kill Cooper. Yeah, man. Damn. That was shocking. It's that was rough. shocking. It's rough, man. Yeah, it's shocking. It's it he gives him a push. He gives him a big push Pushes down, him off, down a hill. Off a hill. Now, Dr. Mann does kill Romilly, which was rough. He sets up a booby trap and explodes yeah. Romilly. Then he steals yeah. the Ranger. He frantically gets on board the Endurance. He doesn't dock it correctly and causes a big explosion on the Endurance. Yeah. And then Cooper, Brand, and Tars are in the lander trying to fly back to the Endurance, which is now in this like wild spin. Spin, yeah. Uh, from the explosion. And Cooper is able to kind of pull off this really great landing where he kind of matches the spin of the Endurance with the lander and is able to dock. Um, it's incredible. It's, it's a great scene. It's it's a lot of fun. I think it's the I think it's the action peak of the movie. Um, it has my favorite track from the score. It's called "No Time for Caution." Um, absolutely amazing, and you can just feel as you're listening to that music, you can feel that like there's an urgency, and then once you get kind of towards the end of the song, you can feel that there's still an urgency, but it's working. Mm. You know, like we're getting this, we're figuring this out, and I think if we just keep doing this, we're gonna get it. Um, it's. It's just a great, amazing, amazing scene. I love this scene. It was heavy, like heavy, heavy action, like f- yeah. for the movie. It was it was pretty intense. They did set that up a little bit earlier on the water planet, where he comes down to the water planet and he doesn't land just normally. He comes in yeah. super fast and spins the ship to land. Now at that totally. moment, he did that to save save them time which i thought was really cool because he's coming in the as fast as he can landing in an aggressive maneuver so that they could save time but he does do the whole like spinning of the ship thing so he's got you know we get to see his pilot skills there we get to see it again here with the endurance It, it was a good scene for sure but unfortunately they don't have enough fuel to get home anymore but they can get to the third planet to edmund's planet Mm-hmm. Right. Now, the only hope left for saving the people on Earth is to use TARS as a probe, send him into Gargantua, which is the name of this black hole, right. and hope that he can record data from inside the black hole so that they can figure out this gravity equation. Now, what they need to do here to get to this third planet is extremely cool. They need to do a maneuver where... They're going to fire all three engines from the three ships they have. So they have the Endurance, they have the Ranger, and they have the Lander. Mm -hmm. They need to fire all the engines at the same time. They need to fly close to Gargantua Mm -hmm. and kind of use its momentum to slingshot them off to the third planet. Now, they do the maneuver. It takes probably 30 seconds to accomplish. Yeah. But because of the like gravitational shift close to Gargantua, it costs them 51 years of Earth time. Yes. Which yes. is fascinating. It's fascinating. What's, what's even more fascinating, Tim, is if you think if Romilly was still like alive and he was still up in a ship watching it happen, 
it would take 51 years for them to go around that black hole. So it would right. be happening so, so incredibly slow. slow to him. Yeah. And it happens in 30 seconds to the people doing it. It's just it's just amazing. I love the thinking of that. And obviously, as we're watching it, those 30 seconds are like high, high paced, you know, really intense. For sure. They just it happens. And then, you know, Anne Hathaway is like, that just cost us 51 years. And I'm 51 like, what? years. Yeah. Holy <laughs> smokes. That's crazy. Yeah. Really neat idea. Yeah. Now, Cooper pulls a fast one on Brand as he takes the ranger and starts going into the black hole instead of going with her to Edmund's planet. Yeah, which is, it's kind of kind of the leap of faith of the movie. He's going right into the black hole. Like, yeah. he knows nothing about what's going on here, right? But no. he's going to fly this ship into this black hole and he's trusting that that's going to somehow be able to help. Yeah, and she watches him doing it yeah. and just starts crying. Uh, which yeah, is another course, nice yeah. moment because they've kind of had like um, uh, like a standoffish relationship for the most part in this yeah. movie. And then I think at that moment she realized like the sacrifice he was making for her. Yeah. I think he said, I think the reason he did it was he said that the calculations he made to get them to the planet didn't account for him and the ranger. Oh, okay. Into the, the final part, part four. What is this going to be called? I'm calling it Into the Black Hole. All my names have been very straightforward. <laughs> it's kind of like exa- great. exactly what's good. happening yeah. in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I did not spend a lot of time thinking about the name. <laughs> so Cooper goes into Gargantua. His shuttle starts taking damage and he's thrown out of it. That's not great. Yeah, no, I think he hits the eject button. Oh, does he hit the eject button? Because well, it's telling him to. His his oh. ship's telling him he has to eject, so he does. <laughs> yeah, well, he starts floating. Then he yeah. starts falling, and he ends up in some yeah. weird structure. And it looks a bit like a bookshelf, but there's like a lot of movement of light and lines going on. Oh, man, it looked really cool. It looked really cool. It's great. Yeah, it looks amazing. Yeah, Cooper sees young Murph on the other side of this weird area he's in. And I mean, I was very obviously confused at this point. I think everybody else watching the movie was confused at this point. Um, What they do here is they keep flashing back and forth between a young Murph on the other side of that bookshelf or wall or whatever um, to an older Murph. Uh, There's lots of like, you know, flashbacks, flash forwards. Um, Space Cooper sees himself on the other side of that room at a point. Yep. And um, Space Cooper is frantically trying to send them a message here. He's trying to send them the message to stay. Mm. Now, it's it's kind of interesting because I would have thought that Space Cooper at this moment would have realized the whole like situation of what's been happening here. Like he... As himself on Earth, he was in this situation and didn't believe the story of the books coming off the shelf, didn't believe the story mm-hmm. that there was a ghost, didn't believe that that was anything more than just a gravitational anomaly. So then I found it a bit interesting or curious that he was doing it in that moment, trying to make the whole thing happen again, even though he knows that he himself didn't take part in believing that what happened was anything 
more than just an anomaly. But I also yeah. think at the same time, if that was me, I would also be frantically doing whatever I could because I'm stuck in a black hole. I don't think I'd be thinking like, oh, uh, well, I guess this is a loop and he tried that before and it didn't work. So I won't do anything. I think he's just trying to do yeah. anything he can, right? Yeah. And honestly, I think he may have just forgotten that his daughter said that the bookshelf, like the books that fell out in, in Morse code said stay. Like he might have just forgot that because he knew she would say anything at that moment to try to get him to stay. So he may have forgot that that's the word she said. So in that moment, I could see him on the other side just being like, oh, I got to tell them to st- I got to tell me to stay. Yeah. So it's at this point where old Murph is in the room. And she realizes here that Cooper is the ghost. So she kind of clues in. And actually yeah. understands what's happening. Mm-hmm. She was the she was the one who always thought something was happening, and it took her all yeah. this time. But she figured out that this is her dad, kind of giving her these yeah. signals. Well, she said she always felt it was like a person. Yeah, but she but like you would never think that's my dad because your dad was there, right? When you exactly. were a kid, you wouldn't be like that's my dad because he's there. so. But when she was older, she went back and she's like. Oh, it's you. You're the one. You were the one doing it. Right. After she studied gravity for many, 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 many years. Yeah. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, we hear Tars say he's still alive. So he got sent into the black hole before Cooper. He's still alive. He says they're both in the fifth dimension. And Tars explains gravity can cross time and dimensions. Cooper says they didn't bring them here they brought themselves so like humans Mm -hmm. brought themselves yeah are you thinking what i'm thinking which is they are just Mm -hmm. evolved humans who left who were able to leave earth continue to like excel in the universe achieve the greatest accomplishments and then send the signal and messages back to the earlier versions of themselves to allow them to get into space. So it's almost like a, t- a time loop there as well. Kind of. Yeah, kind of. So it, it I think it's more like they know. Um, so spoilers, they know how this movie ends up and they know that Matthew McConaughey and um, Jessica Chastain, like Murph and Cooper are key to the humans getting to the point that they actually got to. So they set up this, I think it's called the Tesseract, this five-dimensional thing for Cooper to be in so that he and Murph together can solve what they need to solve. Okay. I don't think the five-dimensional beings know exactly what needs to happen, but they know that these two need to make it happen in that moment. Uh, Okay, I like that. Um, Yeah. Do you think the five-dimensional people are human? Yeah, 100%, yes. Okay, all right. Yeah. So Cooper and Tars here, they're trying to figure out what to do. Uh, they're both stuck in that place. Like, what the hell do you do? I'd be terrified. It's like, what? Oh, my goodness, man. Are you kidding Can me? Can you imagine? I'd, I'd just be <laughs> checking the oxygen in my suit, like, over and over again. <laughs> of like, course. Yeah. Like, Where the hell? I'm in a library. Yeah, I'm in a library. I hate libraries. Uh, <laughs> Cooper remembers what Brand said about love transcending time and space. And he's going to use love to communicate with Murph. And he uses the second hand on a watch he gave Murph before he left Mm -hmm. to send her calculations from inside the black hole. 
And that's pretty cool because he gave her that watch as like this going away kind of gift where he said mm-hmm. um, when he was leaving and when she was a kid and she's very distraught and doesn't want him to go, he says, look, here's my watch. I'm going to give you this watch. Um, our times are connected. Whenever you look at your watch, just know that I'm up there at the same time on my watch. And she throws it and breaks it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but now she picks that watch up as as the older Murph and it's yeah. the watch starts working, right? It starts like ticking up and down, up and down. In strange ways, yeah. And, yeah. So she realizes like what's going on here and mm-hmm. Cooper is able to communicate with her and send her the calculations from inside the black hole. Yeah. I just I got goosebumps at that whole moment where she realized that Cooper was the one sending her the messages. Yeah. It was yeah. a it was a good moment, but Murph. It's, co- it's really yeah. It's just really powerful. Is what I was gonna it's say. Po- yeah, powerful because they yeah. they did such a good job of setting it up through the movie to make us for really sure. care yeah. for this moment, and it was really really yeah. good. Especially that she thought he left her. Yeah, yeah. She still doesn't know, right? Yeah, she still doesn't know, but she's like, oh, I still I still have faith in him. He is actually helping me. He is helping me in this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Murph copies down the Morse code and starts a new equation to compensate for gravity and she figures it out. She solves the equation. Beautiful. Beautiful. Now we see Cooper floating in space around Saturn. Mm-hmm. Just floating there. What? So he's out of the black hole. What the hell is going on? I guess so. Yeah. A couple of ships are heading towards him. Then we see him waking up in a hospital and they tell him he's 124 years old. Wow. And he's on the Cooper station orbiting saturn and it was named after his daughter who is still alive and wants to see him yes i love that he thinks it was named after him first yeah. and they just laugh at him it's <laughs> so too. good he's like oh great. nice of you to name it after me and they're like <laughs> it's your daughter <laughs> yeah i know that was that was a, that was a great great moment yeah love the space station too it's incredible it's very cool yeah so cooper goes to see murph who's very very old and just came out of a two-year cryosleep just because they woke her up because he's come back. I think that's yeah. what she was in there for, was just like she was almost dead. And I think she yeah. went into cryosleep just as like a last-ditch effort to be like, if my dad comes back, wake me up. Yeah, for sure. This was always a bit weird for me, just seeing how old Murph was here. Like mm-hmm. having her be so much older than um, Cooper it was always a little bit jarring for me. I don't know if that if it mattered to you, but it I always is. had I always had a trouble with it. So I visually, I think it is very yes, it is very sort of striking because we've just seen them together, like actually being together as a kid, and then Matthew McConaughey is like age, whatever he's supposed to be, thirty something, and so it is visually striking. Which when they act like the exactly like they did when they were when they were back when she was young, that just again shows me the love that they have for each other. It's not even weird at all. Like they just go right back to the love that they have for each other. So it it is strange to see. And then it just affects me even more because of that. Yeah. That's a good point that the way they're acting just kind of suits, suits like, well, I mean, he's still playing the same character, but this is a new old character coming in trying to play the young Murph character with the same traits. She did a, did a really good job. Like I'm buying into like their, their, 
you know, relationship here. So I think she did a good job of just kind of like mitigating, you know, my concerns with what she may have looked like. I feel like it's the same character. So for sure. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's really great here because they finally have this chance to see each other again and say goodbye appropriately and for real. Mm -hmm. And, you know, unfortunately the goodbye is goodbye because Murph is about to die. Um, but at least they got that chance to just see each other one more time. Murph got to understand, you know, why Cooper did all this very hard for a young girl to understand why her father has to leave. He had to leave to save the world, right? He had to save all the people of earth. So she's at the point where she, I mean, she got to the point earlier, but she's at the point where she understands what he had to do. The sacrifice he had to make, it's bigger than her, you know, it's bigger than him. And I think she respects it, but ultimately what she wanted to do is just to see him again, right? To, to have him come home, to have him come back to her and, you know, have them just have one more moment. So that's what they get here. They get that one last moment. They get that moment and they get, they get her to say like that she believed the whole time that he would come back because she right. says, he says like, Oh, how did you know? And she says, cause my dad promised. Cause he me. promised. And yeah. like, it's just that moment. It's like, okay, even though she was very angry at him for so long, she did feel inside that he was coming back, that he wasn't just like that. He, he wanted to come back. He wasn't just lying to her that this mission was going to send him off and he would never return. Like he thought he was going to come back and see her. Yeah. And I really liked that she's the one here who says um, t- to Cooper, it's okay, you can go. She, she basically releases him. Yeah. Just from, even, just from that moment. Like she, she said, mm-hmm. I've, I've got my family here now. You don't have to be here. Like he's still young. You know, she's like, you've got mm-hmm. other things you can be doing. She, she tells him, go find Brand. She's out there setting up a camp alone in a strange galaxy go help her yeah yeah and at that point we see brand on a hospitable looking planet with a camp already set up so that's Mm -hmm. the admins planet it looks like it's it's gonna work um but unfortunately there's a grave and it looks like brand has been forced to bury admins so that's Which why, is the, why the thumbs up the, weren't coming why the through. The thumbs up wasn't coming through because he's yeah he's he passed away. Um, but we get to see Cooper get into his ship to go and meet her, and the end. Yeah, it's great. You know why? Because Cooper and Bran have been through a lot of shit together. You think Cooper can relate to anybody right now? Like the guy's like 120 years old, and everyone's lived through a bunch of other stuff than he has. And he was been out in space, saw all this stuff, saw all this like intense, um, all this like intense stuff on these different planets. He needs to go be best friends with Brand. <laughs> That's what needs to happen right now. Yeah, I I really like it. Just yeah, I never thought that Cooper and Brand would kind of, you know, be the ones at the end needing to connect. Um, yeah. But it makes a lot of sense, right? Like because this is Cooper's character. He came. He came back to Earth mm-hmm. because, you know, he wanted to see his family again. So he gets to see his family, but he's yes. still that adventurer. He's still, yeah. you know, in Earth years, he's super old, but in space years, he's still a young dude. He still wants to adventure. Yeah. He still wants to be that guy that he can that he, he can be going off into, you know, space and, and doing all this fun, fun interstellar stuff. 
And now that the connection to his daughter is gone, he's basically completely free to do that. Yeah. So I like that he's doing it. And I like that he's going off to where Dr. Brand is because that's like the, that's a new beginning. That's like a brand new start. He's going to go there. She's going to be thrilled to see him, dude. It's going to be, Yeah. I I almost wish we saw that at the end of this movie. Just give us kind of one scene where he lands there and they just have a moment together. Would have been awesome, but um, yeah, just leaves it open to just think about the possibilities of if they did more of these or if they did, you know, a, a sequel or something. It's just, yeah, I like it. I think it's, yeah, I think it's there. It'll never happen. There's no way no one will make a sequel because I'm, I'm pretty sure he just wrapped it up the way he wanted to. But um, it's there. You know, I'd watch that. I'd watch the shit out of that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want one. I don't want one. I don't want a sequel, yeah. but I'd watch one. Um. For me, this movie, like beyond all the sci-fi stuff, which I just love, I thought it was a great journey through love and grief. I just, I feel like every character in this movie is dealing with both and they're dealing with it in different ways because their struggles are different. So we get to see how this person deals with grief um, based upon what that grief is. And then we get to see how they deal with love based on what that love is. Like, is it love for a daughter? Is it love for a father? Is it love for like, um, like a husband relationship? Mm-hmm. And is the grief, what's the grief? Is the grief because you've lost a wife? Is the grief because you've lost a father? Is the grief because you've lost a husband figure? Is the grief because you've lost earth? You've gone somewhere you don't want to go. Mm-hmm. They just, yeah. they do such a good job of building grief and love in all of these characters throughout the movie. And it makes them all very heartfelt characters, like very strange in a movie to feel actually bad when every single character dies. But in this movie, I felt bad for every single character, even Michael Caine's character who tells us on his deathbed, he was a liar and he put people's lives in danger. I felt sorry for him that he had to carry that burden around with him. So I just thought it's fascinating how they combine those two elements in every character that we're watching. And that's why the movie had to be this long. Definitely. Yeah. And I think also to throw something in with your grief and love is cost. I think that it's like Matthew McConaughey had to go save the world and he left his family and he wanted to come back and still spend his time with his family. But there was a cost to that. There was a cost to going out and saving the world. And that was that he didn't get to spend that time with his family. But he did get to come back and see them. So I love that, or at least Murph. I like that he gets to come back and see Murph. But then it's done. Because there was a cost to going out and doing that. So then you go, you can go on and you can go back into the stars, you know, and do what you want to do. But you save the world at a cost. For sure. Yeah. As an astronaut... He, he gained everything to be able to do yeah. what he did, but it cost him his family. Like it cost him his yeah. entire life spent with his family. So, I mean, ugh, that's a tough one. I mean, I don't, I don't, it's a tough one. I, yeah, I, honestly, man, I think if, if you put that in front of people, if you put that equation in front of people, I think it's probably, I think it's more people are swaying towards staying than going. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. I don't, maybe it's a 50, 50 split, but I don't think a lot of people are just jumping out of their seat yeah. to ba- abandon their family, even though it's to save the world. Like it's, I think that's just too high of a concept for normal humans to understand. Like if you do this, you can save the world. It's just, 
it's tough. It can be tough to convince people to abandon their family to do, to do that. It's what it's basically what Dr. Mann says in this movie, like uh, Matt Damon. He says, like, it's no one can separate themselves from exactly who they know. You know, they can't separate like what saving just one person that they know to saving a hundred people that they don't know. No one can make that sort of distinguishment between between the two. And the one there has to be someone to do it right to save the world. There has to be someone that can make that sacrifice. Uh, and yeah, so he he ends up being the one there's he knows that he's like Matthew McConaughey Cooper knows that he needs to do this. He's being told to do it from somebody, whoever it is, he's being told to do it. And he's such a good pilot and he knows he has the skills. He knows he can get it done. He's got to go out and do it. And it, it is, it is a tough pill to swallow at times. I love McConaughey. I love him. I love him. He's awesome. And Tim, I will say, I think, I think love in the end wins out in this thing. Like if they would have went to Edmund's planet right away, that's the only good one. It would have worked. Yeah. She's drawn to Edmund's. And I, I think that's what I honestly do think what that that's what this movie is trying to say is that love can be something maybe in the future that is calculable like gravity because of the way it makes things work in this movie, that Edmund's planet was the right one. And that is the one that Anne Hathaway wanted to go to. And she didn't know why. I mean, she knows she loves the person, but she doesn't know why she's still drawn to him after so many years. And then also um, Murph knowing that Cooper is on the other side of that bookshelf, I think is the love. I think that's what's being, that energy is being sent across. And that's how she knows that. Right. Yeah, it is. And a that's how he knows idea. what moments to go to. Yeah, it's it's just a fascinating idea. I just think it's so cool that there's that that this movie's saying there's other forces we don't understand, too. Yeah. yeah, sure. We just accept the ones that have that people have in the past figured out. But like there's other things we don't understand. Maybe they fall into the same thing. It's what I didn't like at, at the start, but now I've, grow, totally I've grown to appreciate yeah. because it does yeah. make sense. It does make sense. Yeah. Especially after uh, these podcasts that we've already done where nothing understands what to do with love. Right? Exactly. N- nothing. No exactly. one. None of the anomalies understand love. Exactly. Tim. And it exactly happens again. About. It happens again. That I watched this movie. When I watched this movie, I was like, Tim must love this movie. <laughs> oh, I love because, this movie. Yeah. Because nobody knows what to do with love and when when we when something doesn't understand love you know we love that yeah <laughs> we love that movie <laughs> yeah, i think love. i think coming off of like it's not coming directly off of but like the last nolan movie that wasn't a batman movie is inception and that movie is like rules here's the rules and and now we're going to play with the rest of the movie exactly how the rules we set up were and this movie's not like that. This movie at the end gives you something that's that's throwing you a little bit of a curveball and throwing you a little bit for a loop and having you to like think about exactly everything that the movie's saying. And I think that's a little jarring, especially on a first watch. So yep. if you didn't like this movie on a first watch, you watch might it again need to just just watch it again. Just check it out again because the themes are there. They do lay the groundwork for what this ending is. It doesn't come out of nowhere, even though on first watch it definitely seems like it comes out of nowhere. Um, I just I do think it's all there and I think it's uh, yeah, it's it's just an, an amazing movie and an amazing story. Watch it again. It's Dean's number 11 and it's my number 11. I have not defined a list, so don't worry about me. But Dean, <laughs> thank you for joining. Thank you, Tim. And thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll catch you next time.
everybody, I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. That's it for another episode. Thanks to everyone for listening. If you'd like to drop us a line, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as TalkBackPod, or by email at TalkBackPod at gmail.com. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews will help more people find Talking Back. All right, that's it. We're done.